What's up, everybody out there in Avalanche land? Welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, JJ Jerez. With me, of course, Arif Dean. Time to break down a midweek podcast here for the last two games of the Colorado Avalanche. One win, one loss, but we'll get into that loss in a second because I put the loss in air quotes. But I think the Arif, the the real conversation we need to start with is once again, we're seeing this team go down in games early, and it's been pretty much all of 2022 and a little bit sprinkled in there in in December of uh, 2021. But I guess my opening conversation for you and my opening question is, what do you think is exactly causing these 2-0 starts, 1-0 starts from the Avalanche's standpoint? They are not having good starts to the game, and that would be the easiest and stupidest answer. People are not coming onto this podcast <laughs> to hear me here say they're not starting good. But the biggest thing that I'm noticing, so we've been talking in length for the last 12 months about how the Avalanche, you know, play one good period and then kind of like mail it in the rest of the way and win a, win a game by five or six goals. Well, the difference is last year when they were doing that, they weren't playing one good period. They were playing one good period offensively, and then the rest of the way, they would just shut her down. Right now, they're playing offensively for a portion of the game, so you know they're getting those comebacks. They did it against Toronto. We talked about it on Sunday. They did it against Seattle. We saw them do it against the Chicago Blackhawks when they trailed after leading. They obviously did it against Nashville a bunch of times before overtime, but the issue is when they're not scoring, they're not playing well defensively, which is really strange to say. Because the defense is way better this year than it is last year. So I don't really get what's going on. Is it the fact that is there is there something too, and I hate to sound like an old boys hockey guy that's gonna ruin the fun of offense, but is there something to kill McCarr and Devon Taves scoring more offensively that's causing the team to not play as good defensively and we're focusing always on points? Or is it more something systemic? Is it more uh, goaltending is not, you know, uh, making those big saves that maybe Grubauer was that was kind of masking some issues? Or is it simply the fact that they're not out shooting teams 40 to 20 every night and that's just what's going to happen when you give up 30 shots? It just seems like when they're not scoring, the structure, something is off there where there is turnovers, there's breakdowns. We saw that really bad turnover in the game yesterday that led to the third goal, I want to say, for Nashville. Uh, JT Comfort giving the puck away. So something is off about this team defensively, and it's kind of bleeding into the penalty kill as well. It's an interesting theory. I mean, of course, if we had the answers, we'd be not sitting here recording with each other, we'd be in the front office making moves, right? And getting paid the bid bucks. I'd be sitting on the bench with Jared Bednar as an associate coach going, ha I can't wait for this guy to get fired so I can get the interim role. But I get what you're saying, right? It's a very offensive team. This team has a lot of skills. So, you know, a lot of times they're thinking offense, offense, offense. So in doing so, they might be just neglecting a little portion of their defensive side of the game. So I get what you're saying. I think it's as simple as Darcy Kemper. I feel like he's not making the saves he needs to make early on in the yeah. game. And he's, you know, it's just still trying to get to be the Darcy Kemper that we all saw in Arizona. He's still getting there, he, and, he, and we haven't seen it yet. So um, I think it's that simple. Again, you know, we're just theorizing, throwing shit at each other and shit at the wall and see what sticks. But, um, you know, it's hard to really pinpoint exactly what's going on right now. Because, I mean, the difference between when Kemper is in net and Frankie is in net is, and we've only seen Francis twice and only one of them was a start. You know, I'm talking recently, not the Nashville game last month, uh, the funky COVID game. But when Kemper's in net, it's a lot of goals really quick. 
And that's what happened against Toronto until he got pulled and Nashville, I believe, went up two to nothing before the Avalanche, you know, were able to generate any kind of offense. Um, against Seattle, it wasn't that. They were down one nothing, and then I think they tied it. I don't know, man. These games are getting blurred together. And then they went down 2-1 and then 3-1. So with Frankie, it's it's not a matter of him giving up a whole bunch of goals and then the Avalanche having to climb out of it. It's a matter of the Avalanche just don't score until the third period in the game that he started. But with Darcy, it's simply that. It's they're they're going down two nothing really quick or three nothing against Toronto because Kemper's letting in a lot of goals really quick. And then the Avalanche have to fight out of it. I mean, the Avalanche hit over 40 shots yesterday against Nashville. They looked fine offensively. And then after trailing two to nothing, I mean, they only let in two goals in regulation. And then obviously a three on three is always a coin flip, especially when you're gonna have calls like yesterday's. But it just seems like he's not settling in quickly. And and that's or, or or on time, I should say. He's kind of taking a little bit of time to get settled in. And is that a factor of Darcy's not playing well to start, or is that a factor of the team's just not playing well to start and it's leading to goals? I agree with you. I think there is something to say there about Darcy Kemper as well. And and you know, maybe there's a conversation to be had of how much longer can you wait until he's, you know, getting his game together two and a half months out from the trade deadline. Sure. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like I heard Jared Bednar even say that he recently had a conversation with Kemper about his uh, pregame routines and getting to start the game on time because it kind of seems like that's what's going on in Bednar's head. He's, he's maybe not pointing the finger at Darcy Kemper, but you know maybe under the table is a little bit. He goes, dude, that dance you're doing, doing during the national anthem is <laughs> taking all the energy out of you. And by the time the game's starting, your heart rate's already at like 160. You got to chill out a little bit. Just be like Frankie. Skate up to the blue line and just stand there. I love the dance. I'm doing the I dance right it. now. It's, it's really cool. If you ever, I'm going to say this, we've said this earlier in September or October. If you're an Avs fan and you go to any game during the national anthem, watch Darcy Kemper. It's such a treat. It's so cool. It's like, it's so symmetric. Everything about it is just like, a, like really nice to watch. Yeah, but might not be working like you're saying. But And it's why he's given up three goals every first period. Let's get into maybe the biggest talking point in the NHL world today, and that is the too many men call there in overtime against Nashville. Um, obviously, I think, you know, you can slow it down as much as you want, and I think you can really find, you know, you can take the referee's side here if you if you watch it in slow motion and really, I guess, nitpick at it, but... In the game situation, in play, I don't think he knew what, exactly what he was calling. I think he just kind of saw a group of people. He saw some hands go up from Nashville. He saw, uh, you know, something going on, and he just kind of maybe made a panic call. And it turned out, that, again, if you slow it down, he might be a little bit right. But I don't think he really should have inserted him into the uh, inserted himself into the ending of that game the way he did. Yeah, I mean, this is a conversation. Look, it's going to go back and forth for forever. Sometimes we're going to sit there and say officials need to make the calls by the rule book. And then other times we're going to say, well, if you're not making calls by the rule book, then why are you making this call by the rule book when usually refs let this slide? And it's ultimately, it's a fact that there's no consistency and that's the issue. But I really like what you just said about him just kind of making a panic call. Do you remember the Vegas San Jose game seven? when Joe Pavelski got kind of tripped up by yeah, the cross Paul Stastny right? and Cody Eakin or whatever the hell happened. He fell into his, you know, his teammate and that whole thing that happened there that led to a five minute major. Mm -hmm. Now that you say that, it kind of reminds me of that. It's like you saw a guy fall down and he's bleeding and it looked like something intense happened. So we got to call a five minute here. Obviously now in the NHL, you can review those uh, because of that call. 
but I kind of get that sense because, yeah, when you slow it down, if you guys don't follow Dave Jackson, the referee that works for ESPN, local Colorado guy, go ahead and look up his Twitter account. He's the, he's the, uh, the NHL official that works at ESPN uh, games. And he kind of showed a picture where there was an avalanche player in the back. And I think it was, Mc- oh, it was Rantanen and McKinnon was still like 10 feet away from the bench when Rantanen was jumping over the boards or whatever. So I get that because it was kind of off a little bit, but at the same time, unless the player that's coming off and the player that, or sorry, unless the player that's coming on when the player coming off is still far away, unless that player coming on is actually, the puck touches him like we always see where the puck rings around and you're like jumping up trying to make sure the puck doesn't touch you. Unless that happens, we don't usually see this penalty called, especially in three-on-three overtime when people are making line changes from 30 feet away. In overtime, you're never clean because overtime is such an offense-defense possession thing where you'll see like, you know, let's use Nashville as an example. Duchesne and Yossi have the puck behind the net. So... Philip Forsberg goes for a change and he's still at the logo at center ice and, you know, over the boards jumps Ryan Johansson because, you know, he knows for sure Yossi and Duchesne are holding the puck behind their goalie waiting for him to get on to the play. Technically, that's a too many men because Johansson's jumping way too quick, but you never see that cold. And that was cold yesterday when the puck wasn't there. Nashville kind of threw their hands up. Nashville had like five guys touching the ice at one point because two were coming off just as two were coming on. So there was five guys on the ice. So everything about that cold screamed panic, like you said. And, and you know, given the way the Avalanche's PP or PK has been going, given the fact that it's a four on three power play, you just knew that was going to be the winner. And, you know, you kind of had a hunch it was going to be Duchesne and it was. So while you were sitting there kind of doing your analysis, it allow- allowed me to kind of process it a little bit more. And I remember a couple weeks ago when Greg Wyshynski came out with his article about three-on-three overtime. Did you get the chance to read that one, how he's saying? Yes. Essentially, three-on-threes are taking longer. Goals are not happening as frequently as you want them to or as even yeah. they did several years ago. And it makes me think... Even you and I were kind of commenting on recent podcasts how it feels like the referees kind of got together, had a little Zoom call or something, and tightened some calls up here and there. Now, maybe the referees had the Greg Wyshynski article in mind, right? Maybe they're saying, all right, what can we do to help three-on-three be a little bit better? Because a lot of times you do see that. A guy exiting the defensive zone, and he'll come to the near side of the bench while somebody hops onto the ice from the far side of the bench, and from suddenly, the side of the bench. suddenly yep. he's in the play, right? So maybe they consciously tried to tighten that rule up a little bit and the avalanche were just kind of the first victim of that new little i guess see but the problem is when they start doing things like that they usually send out a memo to teams hey guys guess what we've noticed that you guys have all been half-assing your line changes in three on three overtime well we're gonna start to crack down on that so don't get mad at us if we do or do you know what else they do is they call it for a month month and a half and then it goes away and then by the time the playoffs we we completely forgot that that was a tighter rule that's that's the new thing every year it's we're gonna tighten up on slashes or cross checks or whatever and in october you see a a big amount of penalties face-off violation remember that when that was introduced now you barely see it now if you see it you're like what the what why so it's it's kind of the same i don't know it's really strange refing is really weird and inconsistent and you know by the by the the rule of the book like it was a too many men penalty if you look at it from the angle that dave jackson shared but situational in that play and especially how many angles and how many replays you had to go through to even dig up what the ref maybe kind of saw to even kind of give him a reason for why he called that. 
is why it shouldn't have been called, especially when that's usually the case. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back to what I said when we started this conversation. I know it sounds hypocritical because we will come on here and complain that refs need to call the rule book. And then when we do, we're going to say, well, why are you calling it this time? Well, the reason why we're complaining about it this time is because either do it all or, or, or continue down your inconsistent path. You can't pick and choose when you're going to be more strict, and that's the issue right now. Yeah, absolutely. So from that, I guess let's get into the Avs' reaction to the whole thing because I thought that was pretty interesting as well. Obviously, on mm-hmm. the ice, they were all still there, you know, kind of yelling at the ref a little bit, but I thought what was most fascinating was when Jared Bednar got on his Zoom call press conference and used the word frustrated probably about three or four different times. Now, of course, the players, they're competitors. They're going to be angry when they feel robbed of a victory. But the fact that they aren't taking this as, oh, well, you know, we got a point out of it. We still got a lot of games in hand. We've, we're on a win streak. Like, let, let's just move on. I love that. I love that Jared Bednar wasn't saying that that was his message to the team. He wasn't saying that. I, I went in there, had to calm him down and say, you know, this – you got to be happy with the point here. You know, can't control the refs. It is what it is. We should have beat them in regulation. No, he just came out and said, yeah, they're frustrated. They're pissed off. And I, I love to hear that because they're not settling, right? They've been they've been on a tear and they've been playing so well and it's still not good enough for them. They are not settling. That's what I love about it most. Yes, I agree with that. Because when the Toronto Maple Leafs came to Denver, look, the Avalanche had a reason to say all those things that you just said they didn't say. It was it could have been very easy for them to do that and no one would be mad at them to be like you know we got a point we trailed a bunch of times what's the usual hockey speak in a game like that it's well we shouldn't have went down two to nothing in the first place and even let it get to overtime we could have won it in regulation and not had that happen exactly but they didn't take that route but if they did you know there's no reason to like sit there and question their 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 willingness to win but i do like the fact that they did it when the toronto maple leafs came to denver last week and you know they got whipped up and gave up a, a four to one lead and lost in overtime they took that route we haven't played a lot we've been getting games postponed blah 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 altitude coming out of this long christmas break they're a good team they smoked us in regulation we shouldn't have even gotten a point they took that route. There was positives from this game, and Mitch Marner didn't play. Kerfoot played well. Richie played well. Yada yada yada. And you hear that, and like you can't get mad at them for doing that, but you would rather they don't do it. And the Avalanche not doing it is great, given the fact that in their last ten games they've only lost two games: one in regulation, one in overtime, both to Nashville. One on a very questionable call, the other one on a COVID outbreak. But they're winning every other game. They're scoring a lot of goals. Nathan McKinnon's now finally scoring. Kel McCarr leads the team, tied with Nate, with Miko Rantanen in goals as a defenseman with 16. He's scoring at a record-breaking pace. They've only played 30-something games. They have a ton of games in hand. They're top five in the NHL in points percentage, and despite all of that, they still wanted that one freaking point, and I love it. Yep, absolutely. So let's get into those two real quick. Nathan McKinnon, three goals in four games. Uh, seems like he's fighting a little bit. I mean, we know he's been actively shooting more, so it seems to be working for him. And you can tell. You can see it in his game, right? He's looking up at the net and, and looking for every opportunity. Now, I've seen him fan on a couple times, and I've also seen him you know, kind of yeah. get his legs taken out from under him a couple times. But he's shooting the puck, that's for sure. He absolutely is. And his uh, ever since that conversation that Jared Bednar mentioned about, we've been talking to him about shooting the puck more. It's been eight shots, 12 shots, seven shots, six shots. And in those four games, he's got three goals and four assists. Obviously, all four assists coming in one game. But he's doubled his goal output since a week ago today. He had three goals in the first 
19 games of the year, and now he's got three in the last four, and he's still putting up assists along the way. He's shooting the puck a lot, and and he's dishing it at the same time. He's You knew he was going to break out of that slump. You just were waiting for the when, not the if. And uh, again, it's you don't got to reinvent the wheel, Nathan McKinnon. You are a good shooter. Shoot the puck. The pucks will go in, and, and that's a good thing. There is also, like you said, he's been fanning on a couple and kind of trying a little too much sometimes because he's like, I got to shoot, I got to shoot, I got to shoot, and just like misses the net completely or fans on it or makes a boneheaded play. But that's the usual McKinnon. Classic Nathan McKinnon. It's the beauty of his game. Exactly. And, uh, you know, a little side note here. The over-unders on his shots on goal per game have been three and a half. He's been demolishing them. Hint, hint. I, yeah, run those i stopped sports gambling a couple years ago because i got a little too uh addicted to it let's say but one of my buddies is thriving off nathan mckinnon's shots right now because of my suggestions every game same same um and then kevin McCarr, honestly he's really the conversation around the nhl you turn on nhl network they're talking about him there you turn on the radio nhl network radio he, they're talking about him there and even espn has highlights of him going on right now so kale mccarr obviously turning heads around the league scoring goals at a at a rate we never expected or no, i guess we expected it for, but he might score 30 goals this year and i don't know if 30 that's he's something. gonna score 40 you think he's he'll get to 40, 40? i don't know if he'll get to 40 he i think needs, he'll slow down he needs 24 goals and he's got 16 in his last 19 and he started the season slow I don't, I don't know. know, man. I don't know. Well, I mean, goals goals also do kind of tighten up in like March and April. But I would say at least he's going to hit 35. 19 more goals? Come on. All right. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. But <laughs> I guess that's the conversation, right? Where is the ceiling for K.O. McCarr? Because we thought we had already seen it. And now he just keeps, you know, impressing game by game and obviously catching the attention of everybody else. Well, real quick, he had no goals in his first five games of the season and only three assists along the way so he's got 16 goals in 24 games you're telling me he's not going to score another 19 and 40 something well you tell me there's not gonna be another stretch of five five games where he goes with no goals well no i don't think there will be another stretch of five games where he goes (laughs) with more no goals i think there's a better chance of another stretch of five games where he's out of the lineup again (laughs) that's the one that i'm worried about that's a good point too um i'm sorry i just cut i just cut you off go back and ask me whatever you asked me 30 seconds ago I, my my question was how I guess you know when where's the ceiling on this guy? Oh okay. Um, the ceiling <laughs> is <laughs> the ceiling is he is a combination of the offensive juggernaut that we saw in someone like Mike Green and even Eric Carlson, but much better defensively than those guys. And and that's really piss poor of me to put Eric Carlson in the same conversation as Mike Green. He's an entirely new defenseman. So let me kind of change the wording the wording of that a little bit. He's Eric Carlson in his prime, but better. And Eric Carlson in his prime was out freaking standing. He was so good. He was putting up 70, 80 points, skating so smooth and just looking great. All you need to make sure from someone like Kale McCarr is he doesn't get, you know, sideswiped by Matt Cook and and kind of starting what became kind of the end of the great Eric Carlson that we saw for about a half a decade. Um, but no, his 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 ceiling is 80, 90 points a year, as ridiculous as that sounds. 80, 90 points a year, but winning Norris trophies because he's also good defensively, which crazy enough, he hasn't even reached his peak defensively. He's still learning and growing and developing on that side of his game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I like that. I think that's fair. And of course, just like you're saying, because with Eric Carlson, it was a pretty quick demise. So we got to keep this guy healthy. And, you know, as we're seeing on the other side of the de defensive group here with the Avalanche, without your health, you really got nothing. So obviously we'll get into that conversation a little Kale bit McCarr's, later. Kale McCarr is the kind of player, and the funny thing is he's he's doing it with goals tied with Rantanen on a team that is star-studded. But look at the National Predators. They don't have a ton of stars. Matt Duchesne is more of a, you know like a number 3-4 on a team, and Johansson's kind of a little overpaid and things like that. But who always leads that team in points? Who's always a point per game? It's Roman Yossi. Kale McCarr is that kind of player, but he's doing it on a much better team than Roman Yossi in the sense where if you put McCarr on that team and take Yossi off that team, dude, like I know Yossi drives all the offense for that team, but Kale McCarr would take it next level if he didn't have the help. With the help, he's still outscoring all these guys. He's got more goals than Landeskog, than Burkowski, than McKinnon. He's tied with Rantanen. He's got more than Kadri. It's... It's really crazy to see what he's doing, especially on a team with as much star power as he has. Yep, yep, and he's leading it, right? He's the star. I think he's suddenly grabbed the hearts. I think anybody in town who had a maybe a question mark next to their favorite player, they couldn't figure out, you know, they like parts of McKinnon's game. Obviously, Landis Scott's good-looking. Rantanen scores a lot of cool-looking goals. I think now people have settled on Kale McCarr. He's easily a town favorite now. And we're seeing a lot more burgundy Kale McCarr jerseys mm -hmm. out there at Ball Arena. Yep, absolutely. Let's get into that Seattle win, another comeback win. And I think I speak for everybody to, when I say I, I did not expect Seattle to come out as strong as they did. They have a lot more talent and a lot more fight in them than I realized. Second line winger Mason Appleton really did a number on the Avalanche, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to bash the team that gave the Avalanche a pretty damn good game. Uh, they were hungry to play. They hadn't played in nine days, and they were ready to rock. And and, and uh, Philip Grubauer had a damn good game, man. I mean, it was exactly the same thing as Toronto. The Avalanche were down with only one goal late in the third period before getting one from Abe Kubel and then two more in the third. The only difference is the two more in the third this time was enough to win the game because they weren't down 4-1. They were down 3-1. Um, I like their game. Jared McCann's having a great season, but the other two guys that scored, Colin Blackwell and Marcus Johansson, it was only the third goal of the year. So what that says to me is this is a team that came out a lot better and played a lot stronger than I think the Avalanche were expecting or any of us were expecting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Grubauer was phenomenal. I mean, good to see him play as well as he did, but obviously I think you get a little bit more up for playing your former team, right? So I don't know. You do. I, I haven't seen that many Seattle Kraken games, but I, I'd imagine that that was, if not his best, one of his best games of the year. He faced 17 shots in the last 23 minutes of that game. So, you know, I, I don't blame him for giving up the lead. It's kind of been a thing that's been happening a lot with him this year, but he did all he could to keep them in there. And, and he did all he could to show the avalanche that he's a hell of a goalie, not that he was trying to stick it to him because he loves it here. He loves Denver. He's been saying a lot of great things in the media. And, and the way he reacted during the tribute to him was just so great. But, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to pin that loss on him. I think he did a hell of a job and it's always nice to come back and play your former team. And, and he did what he could to, you know, match Frankie save by save till the very end. Yeah. I'm not sure I pin that loss on anybody at Seattle. I think you, you got to credit that win as the avalanche is fighting back and being resilient. I mean, they, they didn't score that game winner until way late in the game. And, um, you know, they had to dig deep for it and they earned it. So, um, you know, it was just a better team beating a weaker one, but it wasn't yeah. easy for them. 
you got to credit that win to just a better team won the game by one goal mm-hmm. and just barely. Um, so that game, going into it, we found out that Gabe Landeskog tests positive again for COVID. Um, obviously, a little bit of a hit to the team and to the lineup, but um, I think they're capable of, of persevering through it. They've been through way worse this year, so while it stinks to be missing Gabe Landeskog, and he's brought a lot to the table this season and in recent games, I think, uh, you know, just let him get some rest here and uh, win some games while he's gone and be back to 100% and get back at it when he's in the lineup. Yeah, and uh, I was talking to a couple of the uh, Avalanche staff in their in their media department, and we were trying to figure out what players are left that haven't tested positive, and I think we came up with uh, Tyson Jost and Eric Johnson. I think we're the only two that haven't tested positive yet, which is good because when you test positive, you're going to have the antibodies for a little bit of a while. You know, I don't even think you have to get tested for like 90 days after you get it. So... But don't quote me on that. I need to double check that. I think that's the NHL rule. But if that's the case, at this point, just send Johnson and Tyson Jost to Landis Cog's house. Let's just get it over with. Let's get. <laughs> I, I don't want to make light of COVID. I'm just joking. But it seems you know it's it's gone through the team, and you know I think it's actually good. We we laughed about it earlier and saying that he's cursed. But you know the fact that someone like even Pavel Francouz got it. Now he's finally getting in a rhythm. COVID's not going to interrupt him in the middle of February. So uh, that's a good thing to see. And, uh, you know, I just hope Landis Cog's feeling fine, which he is. I think he'll be testing out a protocol probably by Saturday if all goes well. And then he'll be ready to rock Monday when they play the Minnesota Wild, which is a good time because you don't need him for Arizona games. You do need him for mini. Last thing I wanted to comment on that Seattle game. It's gotten to a national level now, Arif. Even the guys on NHL radio were commenting about the lack of energy inside Ball Arena for that game. Now, I, yeah. I I thought there would be a little bit more energy, right? Because we were excited to see Donskoy. We were excited to see Grubauer. And still the fans just are, are half asleep when they're getting get to the building. I don't know what's up. I don't know what we got to do. What's got to be different? Do they got to hire um, Hulk Hogan like they do in Vegas and just have him start screaming before the game? Or yeah. I, I don't know if those Eric Cartman pump-up videos are doing it for anyone anymore. <laughs> I haven't seen those in a while. I used to hear those when I would watch games on TV. L.A. Oh, always man. has those. L.A., yes, thank you. That's where I used to hear it all the time uh, at Staples Center Games or Crypto.com slash Internet Games now. Um, (laughs) I don't know what it is. It's even the Toronto game kind of started sluggish, but then that ended up being the loudest and most exciting game I've ever seen. And it didn't take until the Avalanche started their comeback. It came before then, but... I don't know, man. I is are people still worried or you know, kind of timid coming out of this COVID scare where you weren't around people, or is that just an excuse at this point? Something seems really off. You can hear the players. You can hear like you can hear the conversations. The guy in section one thirty four, two sections down from the media room, is having. Him and his wife are talking about dinner. Like you can hear clear as day conversations <laughs> from the press box. It's so strange. Just keep Kodak Black out of the is. ball arena. Oh, oh, oh my God. We don't want to hear any of that going on Let's, from the press box. <laughs> all right. I think that's a better conversation to have. I love the fact that the NHL tweeted Kodak Black in the house. And if you haven't seen what happened with Kodak Black, go ahead and search him on Twitter. I don't know why we're acting like we're a G-rated podcast. What looked like a video of Kodak Black hammering a woman at the Florida Panthers game one section over from where Roberto Luongo and the Florida Panthers GM staff was sitting. 
ended up being uh, twerking, by the way. The video that came out ended sure, up proving sure. that it wasn't what it was. No, no, there's actually oh, okay. a video showing it. Yeah, so if you look up, uh, uh, you know, Down Goes Brown, our favorite hockey comedian ever. Yeah. He, he had an incredible tweet on this. Uh, somebody showed a video saying Kodak Black was not having sex at a hockey game, just a little dancing. And it shows the girl kind of twerking up against him. They weren't naked or anything. And uh, Sean McIndoe, Down Goes Brown, came out with a incredible tweet. So tired of watching the NHL and thinking somebody scored only to have it overturned by a replay. Hey, oh. Just great. Just great. That so, is good. Um, maybe it'll take Kodak Black and his girl to be twerking at the Avalanche game to get the crowd going or... Maybe it'll just take for everything not to die down as soon as the puck drops. Because it's like this weird, strange thing where everybody gets hyped up during the national anthem. And then you got the do-do-do-do-do. And we're getting ready. And the puck's about to drop. And go, Avs, go. Go, Avs, go. And then the puck drops. And you look over to the girl next to you. And you're like, so, you know, we're going to get Chipotle or Kidoba after this. Like, it's so, it's on a dime. As soon as that puck drops, you get like three or four, let's go, avalanche. And then it's gone. It's gone until the first thing, whether it's a... A ref miss call where we hear a couple of refs you suck chants or whether it's, you know, Jacob McDonald when he got hit and we hear boos or whether it's a Nathan McKinnon, you know, rush up the ice where we hear a little bit of cheers. But then it dies down again until the avalanche are down two goals and start to generate offense. I don't know what it is. It's been happening all season. You and I have been talking about it all season. Let's get it figured out, Denver. Or the physical play. Once the physical play kicks in a little bit, that's when the Avs fans that's when it kicked in that's engaged. when it kicked in in the panthers game maybe right. maybe new age maybe new age nhl is not meant for denver denver likes old school crash and bang hockey when you know brendan shanahan and adam foot are killing each other maybe that's what we need but man not kodak back's physical is... play though none, none of his crash and bang <laughs> oh, <laughs> Shoot, it was a five to one game i wish i could do that at a five to one game sometimes just go when you uh just could start hammering a girl in, you know, one of the sweets. When you mentioned the biggest hockey story around uh, Twitter right now is the missed call. I'm like, no, it's not. It's Kodak Black getting late <laughs> at the Panthers game. What the hell are you talking about? Uh, I guess this is a good place to take a timeout and tell you guys about Total Beverage. Everybody already knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know they also deliver? Did you know they have curbside pickup available? And did you know that they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th in Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need, and more. Arif, we broke down the last two games there. Let's kick it back into gear and stop thinking about Kodak Buck. Hey, I said stop thinking about Kodak Buck. Arif, here, here. Sorry. All right, all right. Okay, fine. Let's break fine. down. I, I was just thinking about Roberto Luongo in the video looking over to that section, even though there was a wall in between. I'm like, what's going on? And then waiting for the tweet from his fake account only to see that he actually did tweet from that account, which was awesome. He's the assistant GM of the Florida Panthers, and he's still doing a Strombone thing. It's great. Love it. Love it. But, uh, All right. Sorry. I'll stop thinking about yeah, it. Let's move on. Exactly. We're trying to talk avalanche hockey here. Hockey Mountain High. Refocus. And uh, I want to just talk a couple of storylines surrounding the avalanche. I mean, there's a few going on, and um, you know, some are sadder than others, but we'll try to get to uh, some of the more important ones here. I wanted to start with pa Pavel Francouz. Um Obviously, he had a, a pretty good start against Seattle. Uh, I don't think it went as well as he would have liked, but hey, you get the W 
I think that's all you're really looking for. But Pavel Francouz seems to me to be back in Pavel Francouz condition, right? He looks like he's moving the right way. He's looked like he's making the saves that he's supposed to be making. And he just looks like he's back to himself, which is good to see. It's really nice to see. And I know he led in three goals against Seattle and, and, uh, was it one? One against Toronto. But he looks good. He has a calming presence to him. It's, 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 Remember the difference, and this is going to sound so bad for Kemper. I, I don't mean it to the same level, but you remember the difference of like the comfortability when you had Grubauer in net last year compared to anybody else, be it Dubnik or Johansson or Misk or whoever. Mm-hmm. You just like, you felt a little bit safer with Grub, a lot safer with Grubauer net. During that Seattle game, and even during the Toronto game, you started to get a little bit, and I'm going to use the word little bit for this comparison, a little more safer with Frankie in net than with Darcy Kemper. And you know, it, it, it speaks volumes to Pavel Francouz. This is a guy that didn't play a lot of hockey between March 2020 and, and January 2022. Like, it's it's been almost two years. Um, he obviously got that run in the playoffs, and he didn't do too well against Dallas, only for us to find out that he needed double hip replacement surgery, and there was a whole bunch of shit going on there. So I think it's great that he's stepping up. Is he the guy you want? to trust and start in the playoffs maybe because he might be playing himself into that picture and in that role but in terms of his game from what we've seen so far in the five and a half periods over the last week uh i like it he looks calm he looks good he looks like the frankie that we knew back before covid yeah he looks comfortable right it looks like he's he he's right where he wants to be he's in his own skin and he loves it so i like what i've seen from him and like we said at the top of the show, or kind of at the top of the show, is that Kemper is just showing a lot of inconsistencies and that we're still not fully sold on the Kemper side of things. So I think while he continues to figure out, I think it's only natural that Francouz gets a little extra starts here and there. So that being said, where do you? how do you think they handle Pavel Francouz? Do you think they start throwing some more starts his way? Do you think he gets, you know, maybe a little closer to 40-60 here? Or, or I guess what do you what do you anticipate moving forward? Well, for starters, the Avalanche's next two games are Friday, Saturday, so he's going to play one of those. And then Monday, you have the Wild. So, I mean, here's the deal. Darcy Kemper's your starter, but I think they're going to start Kemper this time, the first game of the back-to-back, and give Frankie the back end of the back-to-back this time. So I think Kemper will go Friday at home. Frankie will go Saturday on the road. Well, what if Kemper, not that this is going to happen because it's Arizona, but what if Kemper gets pulled again Friday? At home, and then you got to put in Kemp. Uh, you got to put in Frankie, and he wins the game, and then plays Saturday and wins the game. Well, now when you're going into Monday's game against the Minnesota Wild, who are you going to start? You're going to go back to your starter. You're going to go back to Frankie, who's come in and played better. So you already have question marks if Kemper gets pulled again, which again I know it's the Arizona Coyotes, it's not going to happen. But then when you go into next week, they play at Anaheim, at LA, in a back to back again. So what that says to me is of the next five games. For sure, you're going to see two games for Frankie, which, like you said, is 40%, it's 40-60, and potentially 60-40 for him. And then after that, it's just going to depend on who's playing better. I think after this five-game stretch, when it gets to the point where the Avalanche play on the 24th, 26th, 28th, 31, and then after that, we don't know the schedule yet. But when it gets to that every-other-day mark, I think these next five games and the two back-to-backs will determine how the split is going to be then. And at this point, to be completely honest, there's no reason to treat Darcy Kemper like the starter. You go into this game, 
you know, if if Nathan McKinnon doesn't score for four games and uh, Nicholas Aubé-Kubel scores for four games, you're not going to switch up Aubé-Kubel with McKinnon and be like, all right, Nate, take a hike. Third line. We got this Nick kid who's playing better than you know, because that's your top line center. But you can't say the same anymore about Darcy Kemper being your starter. You got to treat this like a goalie battle, which is what it is. And if Frankie's the better goalie, he needs to play more games. Yeah, and I think, you know, you you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt, but I think having the back-to-backs against Arizona playing one and then playing the other is going to be a great litmus test in comparing the two, right? I mean, if Kemper comes out and lets up four goals against Arizona and the Avalanche still win 5-4 and then Francouz comes out and only lets it lets in two, you know, I think there's... Or gets a shutout, yeah, that, maybe, I think we can get one of those. I think, you know, every game is different, but I do think there's something to read into that. So... Um, I like what what you're thinking there, and I like having these two Arizona games coming up here. And I think what's going to happen, you know, take the Minnesota game out, the back-to-back against Arizona, and then the back-to-back in California. I think Frankie's going to get the second game of both. He got the first game of the first back-to-back. He's going to get the second game of both of these. So if he plays better in the second game of both of these back-to-backs, knowing that it's the second game and the Avalanche shouldn't be as strong technically, even though they have been recently... um, and who's to say he's not the better goalie right now? As you know, and I've brought it up a couple times already on this podcast, I listen to a lot of NHL Network radio. And on that NHL Network radio, I heard former NHL goaltender Marty Biron breaking down the avalanche and basically saying that he thinks that the one piece that they're missing to really make noise in the playoffs is a solid goaltender. He's not sold on Kemper either, just like any of us who are watching him. Um, so, you know, I think you... He, he's got an expert eye. Us who are sitting here watching him in every day have an expert eye. It sounds like there's still a big hole in goaltending. So I guess, do you think that that's a, a, something that they need to address? Do they try to ride it out the rest of the year with the two guys they got? How is that handled? Trade deadline's not for another two and a half months. You're going to figure it out by then. If if it's the same situation we have now, like the avalanche could be 45 and 15 by the time the trade deadline comes around or whatever the hell number but if Darcy Kemper is still playing the same inconsistent play and Pavel Francouz hasn't stepped up enough where you're like, well, this is our safe net, then yeah, you have to consider it. Like, there's no reason not to. The 2006 Edmonton Oilers weren't supposed to go on a run. They traded for Dwayne Rollison and he was epic. And that's the kind of thing you're going to need for the Avalanche right now. You're going to need them to acquire, and I don't know who it is. You know, in my opinion, if you weren't going to re-sign Philip Grubauer, we all saw how that played out and how... They kind of put all their marbles in the Grubauer basket. You gambled and sometimes you lose. It's fine. And that's why they had to trade for Kemper. But I think they should have, you know, before that had looked at the goalie market and maybe picked up somebody like Freddie Anderson or, or, or Linus Olmark. One of them's playing well, the other one not so much in Olmark. Um, but the fact that they gave up something for Kemper, you have to erase that from your mind. The fact that you gave up a first rounder in Connor Timmins, you can't think about that and try to force this. If you have to go give up another second rounder or whatever for Marc-Andre Fleury or whoever the hell's on the market, maybe it's, I don't know, whatever goalie you're going to go out there and get, um, you can't think about the fact that you already gave up a lot for Kemper. And maybe Kemper's the guy you have to trade. We saw the Avalanche once trade David Abisher for Jose Theodore straight up. Maybe Darcy Kemper's the guy you have to trade. Maybe you have to send him out to bring in someone like Flurry. And again, I'm just using him as an example. You can't think about what you gave up to get him. You can only think about right now what you need to do this year to win the Stanley Cup. And if it's needing a better goalie, then it's needing a better goalie. Yeah, and I think there are people out there that are, that are saying, hey, don't be so hard on him, guys. I mean, he's still got a, a good amount of 
victories. His record still looks pretty strong. And the Avs are figuring out ways to win with him in net despite him not playing that well. But you got to look at the details of his game and this kind of style and these kind of goals, you know, where he should have definitely saved him and they're squeaking through his leg or they're squeaking under his pad. That's not going to cut it in playoff style hockey. Right. And that's the difference you really got to look at. Yeah. It's flying now. It's squeaking by and barely, as you could see, uh, you know, like against Seattle, I don't know. That was that was Francis, but you know what I'm saying. They're they're barely squeaking by in these wins, and they're coming from behind and having to dig themselves out. That, um, yeah, I think it's it's something that at least has to be looked at with a microscope here. Absolutely, and it's again, it's it's kind of a godsend that the NHL trade deadline is so far away this year. Um, you have plenty of time. I'm not saying go out and acquire a goalie. I'm saying if it comes time to it, and you're still in this same position then yes, go out and acquire a goalie. Yeah, just about finding a better replacement, I guess. That's that's the real challenge there. But let's move on. We talk a lot about goaltenders here on this show. I wanted to talk about somebody who doesn't get that much time in the spotlight, but he's earning it right now in the last couple of weeks. That's Nicholas Aubé-Coubel. He's on fire right now. He's red hot. What a guy. I mean, man, we, we like the way he played from the get-go, right? But even Jared Bednar said there's still some uh, tweaks here and there that we need to make to his game, that he's, he's still fallen into some old habits or some old systems. He's still not used to ours. And now that it seems like he is fully into it, he's making noise all over the ice, right? He's just a well-rounded player. He loves to fight. He knows how to score goals. He sets his teammates up. And sometimes he's skating, and I get him confused in my head for Nathan McKinnon because he kind of has a very similar stride to him so he's he's got great skating abilities too he's a physical guy he plays with a crash bang style and and what I love most about what he's done recently is Jared Bednar after that Toronto game where he only played 10 minutes by the way but if you think back to the Toronto game there was a lot of Abe Kubel being noticed on that game and and being noticed on the ice and and playing physical and playing strong on the forecheck creating turnovers generating chances he also had three shots Jared called the game against Toronto after that game. Well, the following morning, he called the game against Toronto the best game he's seen Nicholas Aubé-Coubel play with the Avalanche since he came in. And since then, again, this is a game against Toronto. We're talking Saturday. It's Wednesday. Since then, Aubé-Coubel's got three goals, one assist, four points, plus three, and he's getting more ice time. He had two goals against the Seattle Kraken, which is hilarious because he's now scored on Philip Grubauer three times this year out of the five goals he has. Then he got another one against Nashville, which was big. He had an assist against Nashville. He's getting more ice time. He's getting more shifts. He's getting more opportunities. And ever since that pick-me-up from Jared Bednar, all he's done is play better. And the crazy thing is when Jared called uh, called him, he called Toronto the best game he's played, and then he came out and scored two goals against Seattle, I asked him about Nick again. And he said, there's more to his game. This is a guy that I told him, is is, is Nicolas Obey-Kubel's offensive production a bonus? And he said, no, this is, this is a guy that produced everywhere he's played. His biggest issue is not his work ethic, but it's his consistency. Sometimes he has strong games. Sometimes he doesn't. He needs to push and, and fight through. Well, he kind of hinted at the work ethic thing, too. He needs to work hard every single game to be the player he could be. And if you're Obey-Kubel and you hear that, which you know damn well the, the players listen to this stuff, he came out, two-goal game, one goal, one assist. He's playing awesome, dude. This is a guy kind of like Logan O'Connor where it's like going into the year, you're like, yeah, this is a great fourth liner. And then you're like, wait a sec. This is a staple on the third line. Like, we have another gem here, and 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 we got him off, you know, the Avalanche got him off waivers. Yeah, basically got him for free. So another 
beauty of a find there by Joe Sackick. I mean, I feel like he's got a knack for doing that, right? I mean, he, he got Matt Nieto off of waivers. Matt Nieto ended up being a pretty key piece for several years. I mean, he wasn't the most important player, but he played a role, and he played it well, right? Exactly. Mark Barbario played a role for a couple of years. Joe Sackick seems to have a knack. Patrick Nemeth was a waiver Yeah, clean. there you go. You're right, from Dallas, because they were heavy on defense. Um, so, yeah, you, you like to see it, and it's it's helps us build more faith in Joe Sackick, even though he's already built so much faith around town. Yeah, sometimes you get Marco Danos, but for oh, most of the yeah. time, you get you get guys like this. Uh, yeah, that was a funny one. Um, all right, so moving on, let's look at this. Oh no, let's not look at that just yet. Let's talk about Bo and Byram. I think that's on everybody's heart and soul right now. It stinks to see that he's missing games after everything he's been through already this year. Obviously, it's we're being told it's personal issues, but you know you could kind of you know, use logic and, and surmise that it's not. Well, it's it's basically it's basically been confirmed at this end uh, or at this point that Peter Baugh confirmed talking to Bowen Byram's dad. And I'm just going to read the tweet because I'm not the one that did the reporting. Just talk to Bowen Byram's dad, Sean. The defenseman doesn't have a new concussion, but is dealing with lingering issues likely stemming from his past concussion problems. It got to the point where he didn't feel he could play yesterday. So take from that what you wish. Um He's not feeling good, and it sucks. But what I like about a player like Bo Byram, uh, what I like about, I don't want to say New Age NHL because this isn't New Age NHL. This is a player that's decided to make this decision for himself, is this is a young kid playing on a Stanley Cup winning team or a Stanley Cup contending team this year as a rookie that's producing, playing big minutes, and he pulled himself from the game for the betterment of his health and future, and that's not something you often see a professional athlete do and we have and to I, applaud him for it hope he gets better is the biggest thing but he definitely deserves credit for being able to notice and have that intelligence to say i should not be playing right now i also think we got to give some credit where it's due here and applaud the rest of the hockey world for not frowning upon this right being very accepting being very supportive i think hockey 30 years ago this guy would you know, probably be called a pussy and sent on his way to another team, right? That, that's just the way the hockey culture was back then, but no. Right? And that was a word that was very much used all the time yeah. in old hockey culture, and that's just the way it was. Not only is it applauded that he does things like this, but people wouldn't express it so publicly. People wouldn't use phrases like that, and people aren't even, I don't, I, I hope people aren't going to chirp him on the ice later for that. No, I mean, I don't think, I think we're at a point now in not only hockey society, but just society in general that concussions are looked on very seriously now. We know the after effects and we know what they can do down the road that I don't think anybody consider, considers it a weakness anymore. It's something that people really have to manage and make sure they manage it well, because if not, it leads to way more problems than it's worth. Well, it's a shame it took this long because it was 2011 when Derek Bugard, Rick Rippon, and Wade Bielak all passed away. And they all had issues. And then we saw Steve Monador and the issues he went with that Dan Carcillo still talks about today. There's other players that I'm forgetting and not talking about. It was about time for this change to happen. And you don't want Bowen Byram to be one of those in the future. As, as dark and sullen as that sounds, like that's what could happen if a 21 if a 2021 year old decides i'm having concussion issues but i'm going to keep playing cuz i want to play hockey and win games that's the stuff that leads to future issues and 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 long-term damages and 
he has a great support system. His family, you know, going back to the Bo Byron piece that Peter Ball wrote coming out of his issues from last season was the support system of his family and what his parents and his father and Sean did especially. And that's why Bo was able to contact Sean. He's got that great relationship with him from that story. And Bo's got a great support system. And I think it's it's great to see that the rest of the hockey world, you know, is is supporting him as well. Yeah, I think the one part that worries everybody a little bit is from the story that came out earlier in the year where he said that, you know, it got to a point where he was starting to think about life without hockey and how depressed it got him, right? It got him really down thinking about, you know, getting this close to your dream and not being able to fulfill it. So I think everybody kind of is a little worried for him, you know, making sure that he's just in an okay space mentally, right? I mean, let alone dealing with the side effects of the concussion. I think the mental health side of it is, is something everybody is keeping an eye on. And again, it's not easy to fly with the team to Nashville and then decide to do this. And I would assume has since left Nashville. I can't confirm that. Or obviously he's since left Nashville. The Avalanche are in Denver now, but I mean, you know, left Nashville when that decision was made before the game even was played on Tuesday. I cannot confirm that, but I would assume that's what happened. And again, it takes a lot of courage to do that. And and uh, you know, the mental health part, you have to be strong to be able to do something like that, as as much as it's going to bring you down. Yep, yep. So, all the thoughts and best wishes to. Bowen Byram, of course. Let's move on to the Hockey Diversity Alliance. They released a video over the weekend, a nice, powerful video with a strong message and really uh, furthering, I guess, their their message. Um, but over the week, you had the chance to talk to Nazem Kadri about it and get a little bit more insight on what went into the video. So just wanted you to share your thoughts and, and share the conversation that you had with Nazem Kadri on the Hockey Diversity Alliance clip yeah so basically the commercial obviously the it, it came out the tape out hate campaign it was released and if you haven't seen it then look it up online because the uncensored version is very strong it does have some triggering words in there it does have some racial words in there but it's like it broadcasts it for you with with no filters and and that's the way it should be it should make people feel uncomfortable because that's the only way you're going to get the message across. It has Matt Dumba in it and Asim Kadri, Akeem Alou, Wayne Simmons. Uh, I'm missing a player or two. Um, I can't remember who, but it's a very strong message. And um, when I talked to Naz about it, you know, we had some questions on when this happened and, you know, what the idea was around it. And he said that the video was shot in the summer and it was a work in progress. They had a target date for that Saturday game against the Toronto Maple Leafs because it's hockey night in Canada. It was the only game on that day because there was no 10 p.m. game. Wayne Simmons and Nazem Kadri both used that tape on the ice for uh, pregame warmups, which obviously you couldn't notice that from the press box without seeing that commercial. Um, Matt Dumba used it in Minnesota. A bunch of his teammates used it as well. The Minnesota Wild actually tweeted a picture of a lot of their guys using that tape, which is awesome and great to see, and I applaud them for that. Um, so it was really, it was really just like a good time. Nazem Kadri's hot right now. Wayne Simmons obviously plays for the Toronto Maple Leafs. There was a lot of eyes on that game. And for them to release that commercial that day uh, was about the best way they can go about it from a marketing standpoint to get the message across. So, you know, Kadri talked about it. It was a, it was a work in progress. It was a long time coming. They recorded it over the summer and uh, it was something where that game was targeted for that reason. And, uh, you know, not that we watched it on TV, but, Second intermission, or sorry, first intermission, Akima Lu sat down with Christine Simpson at uh, Sportsnet and talked more about it. So I think the message is out there. You can purchase the tape. 
locally from some stores in Canada, but you can look it up online as well and get it. It's really awesome. It goes to a great cause. And uh, shout out to the Hockey Diversity Alliance, even with all the issues they're going through with the NHL and having them be involved. Uh, it's great to see that these are NHL players putting their careers and their livelihoods on the line for something that they genuinely believe in. And, and you know, everybody should believe in. Like, nobody wants racism, I would think. Right. And I said this on the hockey show over the weekend. And of course, I'm on the side of the Hockey Diversity Alliance, but I was just saying how good it was to see them active again, right? I felt like it had been so long and I don't know, it, they they have a powerful message that the world is ready to hear right now and it took them a little bit to really gain some more momentum again and you know, they lost a couple guys it looks like. So, I'm just happy that they're back in the forefront of the public and making their message heard again because it seemed like it was a while that it it might flame out and that would have been disappointing. Yeah, so I want to share a quick story about it. If you watch the video, you'll notice that um, there's a specific tweet or, or you know, it was, a, it was either a tweet or an Instagram comment because both of them were kind of running rampant at the time that they showed when they talked about Nazem Kadri. And that specific tweet, I don't have it in my DMs anymore because I deleted it when it happened. But the person that tweeted that, I don't know if you remember this, but Nazem Kadri's wife controls the... Instagram account for their cat, Jazzy Kadri, because, you know, every every couple that has a cat creates an Instagram account for their cat. But she used that account to broadcast the tweets, you know, that people were sending out the very racist, Islamophobic and and, and just bigotry towards Nazem Kadri after his suspension against the Vegas Golden Knights last year. Well, against St. Louis leading into the Vegas series. Um, and a lot of the tweets came after he was suspended. A lot of the tweets came after the avalanche were eliminated and they were going back and blaming him. The one specific tweet that the Hockey Diversity Alliance used, the person that tweeted it DM'd me on Twitter because I shared those posts and I talked about how we need to end racism and so on and so forth. He DM'd me on Twitter and said to delete my tweet because someone hacked his account and this is false and blah, 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 and he didn't tweet it. And I ignored it. And then he came back again a couple days later and said, you know, using obviously vulgar language, I said to effing take it down, da 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 da, or else I will go to the authorities. And I'm just like, you sound like a fucking idiot. And I didn't delete it again. And then he came back again and said, I am genuinely telling you right now, if you don't take it down, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, he used some kind of legal term to basically try to scare me. It was a scare tactic. And I read it and I'm like, this guy's a fucking idiot. Every time he did it, I deleted his message. I reported him to Twitter. Twitter took down his account. But these are the kind of people that are tweeting things like that. It led me to le reach out to the Avalanche to see if they were going to release a statement about it. And the Avalanche did release a statement about it because they went and saw the tweets as well. But I found it really interesting that they were using that tweet specifically. They were using the words that that guy used, which I'm not going to repeat them, obviously. But if you want to go back and look at the video the Hockey Diversity Alliance shows, when they pull up Nazem Kadri, you'll see the tweet right there. But it was really interesting that they used that tweet because as much as this guy tried to put it under wraps and say to me and to everybody else, he was tweeting at everybody, even like freaking Kevin Weeks and anybody that shared it, he was directly tweeting them and then DMing them, I would assume, saying for them to take it down. And despite all of his efforts to try to hide the racism that he had, it was now broadcasted in probably the biggest campaign the Hockey Diversity Alliance has showed. So I don't want to call it karma. I don't want to say you fucking earned it, but you earned it. And, and I don't know who the person was. I don't care who it was, but you should feel uncomfortable when you tweet things like that. You should feel uncomfortable watching that video. And, and, and it was a really powerful message. 
Indeed, indeed. I'm not sure I can expand on it any further than you did, so I guess we'll leave it at that. Let's just look at these next two games. Arif, two back-to-backs with Arizona. What are you expecting? What do you want to see? What do you not want to see? A lot of goals for, not many goals against, two more wins. (laughs) (laughs) But the reality is the way the Avalanche playing, it's going to be a lot of goals for, a lot of goals against, two more wins. But you got to fix that a lot of goals against part. Well, that's the thing about Arizona, too, is that they get some pretty solid goaltending out of nowhere every once in a while. So you got to make sure not to fall victim to that. They are currently five minutes left in the second period to the Toronto Maple Leafs. The Arizona Coyotes are leading one to nothing again on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Ryan Dezingle has the goal unassisted. The shot count says Toronto 31, Arizona 11. So yes, they, they get some good goaltending. <laughs> yeah. And they, they get some sneaky good play every once in a while. So it's got to be, you know, I know in the Avalanche locker room, there's, you know, a certain stigma on the Arizona Coyotes. Even Nathan McKinnon's taken time to talk about how much he hated playing them specifically so many times uh, last year. So um, just got to make sure not to look over this team, right? It's still an NHL team. They're still capable and they're still hungry. Yeah, they kind of did it against Seattle, and they had to dig themselves out of a hole there. So don't take Arizona lightly. You should win both of these games, and you probably will win both of these games. But do it playing good hockey. Indeed, indeed. Love me some Ws. So hopefully when we come back on Sunday, we are talking about two wins, but we will be back Sunday to do our usual Sunday podcast. So that being said, let's stop this one right here. Yeah, it's hilarious that we think the midweek podcasts are are shorter than the Sunday ones at this point. The only difference is the Sunday ones have a three stars. So shout out to Patrick and and to all of your beautiful ears for listening to us for so long on a Wednesday. We go into it thinking it's going to be shorter. It never really happens. But yeah, we'll do 30 minutes midweek (laughs) and an hour late week. And it ends up being an hour and an hour. Here we are. Uh, I think we have you to thank for that. So thank you, Arif. But <laughs> thank you to everybody for hanging out with us and listening to Arif on this beautiful podcast, oh, Hockey Mountain man. High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage, both in Thornton and Westminster. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Hockey is for everyone. And we have to